Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Good morning, North Roanoke. This is Pastor Daniel, and this is an unusual way to be addressing you this Sunday morning, but it's better than doing nothing, I believe. I'm excited about the opportunity to continue our series through the Psalms this morning as we consider Psalm 27, verses 7 through 14, in a message I'm going to call, Your Face, Lord, Do I Seek, uh, from what David says, as we turn to Psalm 27, I want to pray. I want to pray for our offering. I want to pray uh, for our, our missionaries around the world as we support the International Mission Board and the North American Mission Board uh, in their work of making disciples around the world. Would you pray with me, God in heaven? We give you praise for the opportunity to give, to give lavishly, to give generously. God, I, I pray. I know uh, that when we miss a Sunday, oftentimes um, that that hits us uh, in the area of our financial health as a church. God, I pray against that. Lord, I, I pray that maybe you would motivate someone who's who's been particularly blessed to just um, do something uh, extravagant or, or lavish, God, uh, in way of their demonstrating their love for you and their confidence, God, that you have uh, good things in store through your gathered church in Roanoke and around the world. Lord, I pray you would help me um, though I'm weak, God, to, to speak your truth clearly as I, I turn my attention now to Psalm 27. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 27. It's a psalm we considered uh, last week, at least the, the first six verses. And we saw that David was desperate to know the presence of God. He understood that the, the one thing that would sustain him in a world of adversity, in a world of darkness, is to know the Lord, his light, and his salvation. So today, after David is, has been reminded of the Lord's greatness and his need for the Lord's presence, we, we break in at verse 7 and we see how David prays. Would you hear with me the word of the Lord? Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, and be gracious to me, and answer me. You've said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O oh, you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not. O oh, God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me. But the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O oh Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I want to share with you three truths from this text this morning. The first in verses 7 through 10. The first truth, if you're taking notes today, is simply this. We must earnestly desire and ask for the Lord's presence. David last week reminds himself that he desperately needs God's presence. And what does he now do? It's, it's so simple and yet so profound. He, he asks God for his presence. 
If we were reading this psalm in the, in the Hebrew, you would see a massive tone shift between verses 6 and 7. In verses 1 through 6, the, the tempo of the, the song is, is upbeat. It's, it's joyful and almost confident and warlike. But beginning in verse 7, the tempo slows and it becomes more contemplative, becomes more even somber. David understands that he needs the Lord's presence, and yet he's living in a world of enemies. And as he sees his enemies and considers his plight, he understands he has nothing to bring other than that God would give him his presence. He knows no man-made solution will work, only the Lord will do. So in verse 7, David is writing almost uh, like he can barely get out the words. He's, he's almost suffocating in this world of darkness, and yet he musters up the will to say, Hear, O Yahweh, my voice. I, I call and pity me and, and answer me. The, the darkness has driven him to desperation. Desperation has led him to get serious about what he really desires, which is the presence of God. And I want to encourage you this morning. Maybe you're on the edge of despair and we could, we could say, well, that's a terrible place to be. But, but David turns it around and he shows us that, that despair can lead us to understand what we are really desperate for is the presence of God. Delighting in the Lord's presence comes through in fact, the door of desperation. Because when we're desperate for the Lord, we begin to seek Him. And, and God promises when we, when we seek Him, we will find Him. When we, when we knock, it will be open. When we ask, it will be given to us. Why? Because look at verse 8. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. In other words, God, you've told mankind to seek your face, going all the way back to, to Deuteronomy when, when Moses tells us to seek the Lord with all our heart and all of our strength. And David said something similar at the dedication uh, of, the, um, of the ark when the ark was brought to, to Mount Zion in Jerusalem. He, he commands the Israelites to, to seek the Lord's face. And so David understands that God's will is for us to seek Him. And so if we seek Him, we're, we're going to find Him. And in desperation leads us to seek wholeheartedly. I, I remember when I worked at Southeastern Seminary many years ago, and I used to be able to play basketball there in the lunch hour. And one time I went over and played basketball with some of my colleagues, and I, I removed my wedding band because sometimes I would get quite sweaty and my wedding band would be at risk of coming off. So I removed it and put it in a chair with my wallet and my keys. And when I left that day, I put my keys in my pocket and my wallet in my pocket. But I left without my wedding ring. I didn't discover it till the next day when I was having a heated conversation where there was a serious question in view. And I stood up from my chair and I put my hands out like this, making an emphatic point, And I looked and suddenly it didn't matter the conversation I was having. All that I could see was that my wedding ring was missing. And I, I went on a quest seeking for my wedding band. And praise God, uh, it, it has been found. But this is the posture of David. God, I'm seeking your face. It is the one thing that I want. And we might wonder sometimes, well, why does adversity come? Why does discouragement come? Why does disappointment? Appointment come. Hosea chapter 5, verse 15 tells us that sometimes God allows adversity 
in our lives so that we will seek His face. Specifically, Hosea 5.15 explains that God allowed the destruction of Israel and Judah at the hands of Assyria to convince them of their guilt before God so that they would seek God's face in their misery. They would earnestly seek Him. I suspect that one reason God has allowed COVID-19 in our present day is so that the people of God would be reminded that only the face of God will do. Not comfort, not luxury, none of these other things will truly satisfy our soul. The Lord is agitating us in some ways. He's stirring us up to to provoke us, to remind us that it is only the Lord's face, it is only the Lord's presence that will satisfy. Seeking the Lord's face is a figure of speech for being in someone's presence directly, closely, personally. It It is something that the Lord desires for Uh, So what does David do? He seeks the Lord's face from his heart, verse 8. Lord, show me your beautiful, powerful, awesome face. It's what you've commanded of me. And God, it is what I desire of you. Show me your face. You asked for it and I'm seeking it. Lord, I pray you would grant it. And then in verse 9, his plea takes a bit of a turn. His plea for God's presence intensifies. He's seeking the Lord's face, but now he begs the Lord not to hide his face. He recognizes that he doesn't deserve to see God's face. In the Lord's presence, we are hidden from our enemies, but when the Lord hides his face from us, or it seems as though he hides his face from us, we feel exposed and we feel vulnerable and in our desperation we beg God don't don't be distant from me don't hide from me and here's some wonderful news while the the presence of God is a gift that is only God's to give it is a gift that he delights to give David's prayer verse 9 is a prayer of humility he understands that to see the Lord that the Lord has to allow himself to be seen and the Lord must equip David to see him. So here's my here's my best summary of what David writes in verse 9. Lord, I know you are there when you seem distant, even when you seem absent. Is it, is it something I've done, Lord? Something I've I've left undone. God, whatever it is that is attacking me from outside, whatever it is within me that is preventing me from seeing you with the spiritual eyes of faith. God, whatever it is that's preventing you from seeing you and encountering you in my heart, don't stay hidden from me, God. Open my eyes to behold you again. I've, I've seen you before, and I trust I will see you again. Do you see that in verses, in, in lines 3 and 5 of verse 9? He says in line 3, you have been my help. In other words, David can remember a time when he needed the presence of God, and, and God came through. And, and then in verse 9, he says, oh God of my salvation, he trusts even in a season of adversity, that God will deliver him even when no one else does. That is, that's David's point in verse 10, right? When he says, for my mother and, excuse me, my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. David, in this case, is likely speaking hypothetically. We don't have any biblical statement that his parents forsook him. Although I find it interesting that when the prophet Samuel came looking for the son of Jesse who would be anointed king, that David had to be summoned from the fields of Bethlehem while the other sons were right there in the household. But I think most likely David is is saying this. He's not saying that his parents forsook him, but rather he's saying that the Lord is faithful beyond the breaking point of the greatest human loves. 
What is it that would make you disown your own child? Certainly, it would, it would be a tremendous uh, infraction, a tremendous sin. The, the Heavenly Father is no deadbeat dad. He's not one who's going to leave or abandon His children. When He draws you into His family by the saving work of Christ and the enabling of the Holy Spirit, He shows you that He is your only hope and you seek Him and He gives you Himself and He keeps on giving. So here's hope this morning. Even if you've done something that would lead your own father and mother to disown you, the Heavenly Father will take in all who will seek His face, all who will turn from their wicked ways and seek Him. He will show you His face. He will show you His presence. So what do we do in this present season of darkness? If you are in a season of darkness this morning, the the first thing you do is you, you stop. You humble yourself. You stop trying to run the race on your own and you look to God and say, God, show me your face. Show me your beautiful face. Let me behold your presence. But secondly, we've got to remain teachable in a world of enemy opposition. We've got to be teachable in a world of enemy opposition. After David says that the Lord will be faithful even if his own mother and father would disown him, he transitions from asking for the Lord's presence to asking for the Lord's instruction. And he shows us in verse 11 and 12, we must remain teachable in a world of enemy opposition. God's presence and His teaching go hand in hand. Salvation isn't just about avoiding death and hell. It's about getting to know and to love and to follow the One who shows us His face. So what does David ask? He asks the Lord to teach him, verse 11, his way. In a world of obstacles, in a world of enemies, he wants to be led on a level path, verse 12, even as he is attacked by false witnesses, again in verse 12, breathing out violence against him. This is a, an expression for encouraging riot, rioting and violence against someone. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1, Saul is referred to as one who breathed out threats and murder against the disciples. In David's case, those who followed his son Absalom, who was engendering a civil war there in Israel against his own father, they breathed out threats and murder against him, 2 Samuel 16.8. And Absalom himself, his own son, David's own son, accused David of failing in his duties as king, 2 Samuel 15.8. But David's not the only one who faced those who breathed out threats of violence and murder. We know that Jesus faced false accusations and violent threats that culminated at the cross. And we know that He did this not because of His own sin, but so that He could bear your sins, so that in His resurrection your sin could be conquered, your fear of death could be eliminated, and you could be freed to behold, in a sense, the face of God now. Paul says, as though in a mirror dimly, but one day we will literally know Him face to face. David here does not pray, interestingly, for the enemies to go away, but rather that he would stay on the level path of the Lord and be led by the Lord's presence. Every follower of Jesus should want to be a Christian who looks like 
the prayer of David in verses 11 and 12. This is what I, I want for you. Though there are enemies, though there are false accusers, though there are things that want to rip me away from the path of the Lord, we need to be like David, real about our enemies, see them for the liars and the accusers and violent oppressors that they are, adversaries who want you to do their will rather than God's will. And I want you to stay the course. As Wilson writes about David, David shows us that in the face of suffering and attack, the faithful continue to trust in Yahweh rather than their own devices. What is it in your life that, that tempts you to, to get off of God's path and on to making your own way in the world? David is in the world, but he refuses to be of it. He seeks the Lord's face, understanding he must Therefore, be committed to the Lord's way, even though every step of the journey is contested by enemies seeking to pounce and to devour as soon as he should stumble in the path. Church following Jesus means that we must seek his presence, and it means we must humbly remain open to his instruction, and that we, like David, recognize our enemies as enemies rather than making excuses for accommodating them in our lives. Uh, there are all sorts of enemies that, that come to my mind. The enemy of, of laziness, the enemy of indifference, the enemy of greed, of pride, of lust, the enemy of control, wanting to control our own lives rather than yield the control of our lives over to the Lord and to say, God, I'm, I'm totally yours. What you want to do with my life, do it. I, I appreciate that David here recognizes his enemies and takes them seriously. I wonder this morning if the Spirit might be leading you to identify an enemy that's holding you back in following after Jesus. I wonder if He would give you the liberty to, in the comfort of your own home, maybe even as a family, talk about what, what enemies attack your family, what enemies attack you personally, what, what keeps you back from going all in on the mission of God, what, what keeps you holding the local church at an at a arm's length rather than embracing it with all that you are. If you want to walk in the joy of the Lord, if you want to know His presence, you've got to humbly seek His face, and then you've got to humbly resolve to walk in His way. Maybe the Lord would say to you today, Seek my face and welcome my teaching, and I will lead you in level paths in a world of enemy attack. For in a world of enemies, church, if we belong to Christ, we have still won. We don't fight for victory, but from victory. Christ is raised from the dead as the first fruits of what is on the way for all who trust in Him. And it is that eternal perspective that David returns to as he concludes this psalm. He writes in verse 13 and 14, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Two times in verse 14, wait for the Lord. Some later, hand, excuse me, some later Hebrew manuscripts suggest that verse 13 may actually begin this way. Some of your translations may include it. Oh, had I not believed that I would look upon the goodness of the Lord. Whether these words are original or added later to help us understand the context. Either way, I believe they help us capture the sense of the meaning of verse 13, and it's this. Look, if all I had 
was what I'm experiencing in this life, in this present moment. If I didn't have a future of eternity to look forward to in the land of the living, beholding the face of God, knowing the goodness of the Lord, then kind of like Ecclesiastes, then all is vanity. But David does believe. He does believe that he will look upon the goodness of the Lord. And because he believes that there is goodness on the way for those who look to the Lord and seek His presence and follow His way, He will not relent in pursuing God's will for His life. Which shows us the third principle we can learn from this psalm today is in verse 13 and 14, we must let the Lord strengthen us now with His promise of what is to come. We must let the Lord strengthen us now with His promise of what is to come. In a world where everything and everyone else fails at some point, the Lord never fails. David believes, verse 13, he's confident that he will behold the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. If you need evidence that David's faith included the resurrection, you don't need to look any further than verse 13. He believes there's a land of the living, a land where there is no dying and no fear of dying. Instead, everyone there, they have their their desire and their delight fulfilled forever. They gaze upon, they look upon the goodness of the Lord. But what about now? How will David's enemies not devour him in the here and now? Look at verse 14. He is willing to wait for the Lord. He's convinced that being with the Lord in eternity is worth the wait. That the ultimate pleasures of pursuing God's presence and His path, though delayed, are infinitely superior to anything offered by His enemies. Did you know our enemies want us to grow weary and impatient and to lose heart and to go outside of God's path for a moment of fleeting pleasure that then becomes many moments that end in destruction? But David is not going to get hasty. He's not going to grow impatient. Rather, he will wait upon the Lord. And and this waiting that, that David will do is is not like waiting at the DMV, right? It's it's not mind-numbing, brain cell-sucking, life-eating waiting. This is amazing, life-giving waiting. It is edge of your seat. Something amazing is about to happen waiting. So I will wait. The Bible gives us a glimpse of what's on the way as we read the book of Revelation and we see the elders singing worthy is the lamb who was slain and we see the the glorious splendor a little foretaste there in scripture of what it's going to be like and I I know that we can only begin in our mind's eye to grasp what eternity with our king will will be like and yet God has given us a glimpse and and that is what is on the way for those who belong to Christ Jesus we are not there yet But victory is assured through the blood of Christ. And Jesus is worth the wait. And yet waiting can't be done in our own strength. Do you see in verse 14, be strong and and take courage or be strong and courageous? These are the very words that Moses used to charge Joshua before waging warfare for the Israelites as they took the promised land. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. So, Waiting is is full of joy and, and excitement as we get a vision of what's ahead. And yet there are enemies in our present world who tempt us 
to bow out, to tempt us to take what seems like the easy way out. And so there's this element of spiritual warfare in the wait that requires us to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It's not a, a waiting we do in our own strength, and our own power. We do it by looking to the face of God, resolving to follow His way, and asking God to embolden us to wait with great joy. In his book, Waiting on God, Andrew Murray writes this, is, is waiting on God a work so difficult that such words are needed? Yes, indeed. The deliverance for which we have, for which we often have to wait is from enemies in whose presence we are so weak. The blessings for which we plead are spiritual and all unseen, things impossible with men, heavenly, supernatural, divine realities. Our heart may well faint and fail, and yet by God's grace, He will not fail us. By way of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, who gives us patience and joy in the waiting, who gives us the ability to endure as we look to Christ, who for the joy set before Him endured even the cross, we will wait. Waiting means enduring. It means understanding the enemy wants to tear you away from the Lord's presence. And it means understanding, however, that in the Lord's presence and in His path, we can see our enemies for what they really are. And we will keep waiting for the Lord, knowing that eternity with Jesus forever is well worth the wait. Do you believe that you will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? At the end of this psalm, David's situation has not changed. But his confidence in the Lord has been renewed. His resolve to walk in the Lord's path has been rekindled. And he's been reminded of the great end that is on the way for all who trust in the promised Son of God. So in the way of application this morning, i got to ask you, do you really know Jesus? Or have perhaps you been relying on a religious routine rather than on a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you come to Jesus and said, God, show me your face. Your presence is more to me than anything. God, forgive my sin. Wash me clean. Let me know you and follow you fully. If you don't know Christ today, I want to invite you to trust him. If you don't know how or you need more information, please contact me or anyone at North Roanoke. We would be delighted to help you in that. And secondly, maybe you're struggling. Maybe you know that you know that you've trusted Christ. Maybe you know that you're endeavoring to follow Him, but your, your enemies seem to be winning the battle right now. Maybe you need someone to pray with you. Maybe you need someone to hold you accountable for walking in the Lord's path. Maybe there's an enemy that is gaining the upper hand in your life and you need a brother or sister to, to talk to about that. If, if you're struggling with something and you, you'd like someone to pray with you for victory in your life, to, to regain a perspective that delights in God's presence, that is committed to following God's way and looking to the good end as your sure hope, knowing that God is worth the wait, we'd love to help you and support you in that as well. North Roanoke Baptist Church, I can't wait to be back with you next Sunday, August the 8th. Until then, thank you for your time in God's Word. Could we pray together as we close? God in heaven, I much would have preferred to have been preaching to faces rather than this camera. 
but I can see the faces of those who are watching on their phones and in their living rooms and throughout the week. Hey God, you, you see their face as well. And you invite them, you welcome them to seek your face. God, I pray that you would fill North Roanoke Baptist Church with a contagious awareness of your presence. God, that we would have a joy that is palpable, that is felt in the Roanoke Valley and around the world. God, we want to be your ambassadors in a world of enemy attack. We want to be faithful and walking on the level path. God, we want to see Jesus magnified like never before. And we pray, God, that you would use us and that you would help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, until we see him face to face. I ask it for his glory and in his name. Amen. God bless you, North Roanoke. I can't wait to see you next week. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.